Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Alex Kane from Sport Trade. Alex, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting Podcast. Today I'm joined by Alex Kane from Sport Trade. Alex, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Jake. So Alex, you've started a new a new platform, a new application in the US, which I'm, I'm really excited to get into. But before we do, tell us about your background and what led you into ultimately getting involved in, in sports wagering. Absolutely. So I you know, have always been interested uh, in sports. Uh, I went to uh, school in Philadelphia at a college named Drexel University. Um, there I played golf on the team for two years. Um, and I also majored in finance and business law. So I was always kind of interested in the numbers side of sports, and I knew I wasn't quite good enough to to play sports at the high at the highest level. Um, so I figured this was the next best thing. So I watched quite a lot of golf, um, and I was always fascinated by you know odd movements in golf. And I think golf's a really cool sport that you can kind of analyze, you know, after each round where each golfer stands. Um, and that's kind of, kind of how I came up with the idea for sport trades. So I figured, well, what if there was a way to trade, uh, you know, derivatives or call options on all of these players? So this all started back in the Masters uh, in 2016. And my dad asked me, you know, if I were to place a wager, who would I who would I wager on? And I went to the bottom of some odds list uh, on the internet, and I found a golfer named Kiradech Apibonrat, who's now, you know, if you're a golf fan, a household name. Um, and I think he was 500 to one or 1,000 to one, something crazy, terrible mispricing. So I told him to put $10 uh, on Kiradech, uh, and I think he was 500 to one. Um, and two days into the tournament, he was in the penultimate group on Saturday afternoon. And I went back to that same website and he was 12 to one to win the masters. So I was kind of thinking, wow, there should be a way that a, a user can derive value from predicting, you know, which way the probability of, of, of occurring moves. So that's generally how I kind of morphed my interest in golf and sports and my interest in finance. Interesting. So were you betting for fun on the side or were you following betting markets to try and you know, understand what's available, what's out there, or were you just thinking in the back of your mind one day this might be a space that you would be looking to get involved in? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure if I've ever thought of it that way. I was always just really interested in marketplaces. Um, so I remember the first thing, you know, I, I did was kind of looking up, you know, what's out there for trading all options or is there anything that, you know, has anyone tried this kind of marketplace idea? 
Uh, and of course, it's 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 an idea that's as old as you know betting itself. Some could argue that the bookie model is almost an exchange, but you only have one market maker. Um, so that's kind of how I got interested in this space. Um, and then as I started to act on the idea a little bit more, I became a little bit more aware of of different players in the space for sure. So why now? Why this moment in time? Obviously, the change in the legislation here in the U.S. with PASPA being struck down in May last year and and things changing on a state-by-state basis. But what was the reason or the the impetus behind deciding now this was the right time to get more active? For me, it was, was, um, you know, the first thing I did was I filed some provisional patent applications on on the underlying algorithms and technology. Um, And then in 2018, I started to put a team together. I have two great co-founders, Greg and Henry. and we really just started building out, you know, Greg and I, the, the trade engine. Um, and that took us, you know, a few months to do. We built it from scratch. There's not a lot of documentation out there on as to how to build, you know, an exchange. So that was certainly a, an experience. Um, and then obviously you have the proliferation of, of sports betting across the nation. You, you mentioned PASPA's being struck, struck down was uh, May of 2018. Um, and I think I checked this morning, there's like 123 bills that are, you know, up for debate in various state legislators across the U.S. So clearly this is a, a space that's going in the right direction. Um, and why now? Uh, obviously, I think that the idea of a marketplace is going to uh, come to the United States uh, one way or the other. Um, and I think that we're probably still a few years out from from the mainstream adoption of, of a marketplace, um, liquidity being a huge thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, but we, we, we find that now is a really good time because it's going to take time for the U.S. market, uh, various regulators and such to you know get acclimated to what exchange wagering is. And starting on a smaller scale, per se, maybe in, in one state is probably the way to go. Take us through the process of building out a sports wagering exchange. It sounds like a monumental task. It couldn't have been easy. What What are some of the steps that you took in terms of research development and then obviously the the building phase? What we really did, Greg and I, was uh, – so Greg worked at um, Capital One and he left his job in Q3 of 2018. Um, so at first he was working part-time with me. Um, and the first thing we we did is basically we just took out a blank sheet of paper and we said, well, how does a trade occur? And then we had to step, take it you know a step further and say, okay, well, what what are we being what is being traded? How are we going to quote price? How are we going to quote quantity? And then we came up with a system basically where these you know users could trade a, a physical quantity of something. We call them contracts that would trade between zero dollars and, and ten dollars. And then what we figured was, well, if someone's willing to buy a contract or, or more than one contract at a higher price than what the mar- market's offering or at the same price, you can execute a trade. And that's basically how we started. And then we started to get into how to handle throughput, how to handle account balance management. Um, and we certainly have some IP there. And then there's obviously the how do you manage a market when it's in play how do you properly suspend a market if something's happened? How do you sustain the proper uh, infrastructure if, if something were to, were to go down in, in a, like a black swan event? 
So we certainly tackled a lot of those issues and we started with a piece of paper and we ended up with something that can handle over 10,000 trades per second per market. So a lot of that obviously has to, uh, Greg deserves a lot of the credit, but there was certainly a long, lot of long nights uh, discussing and building that and it was a heck of a lot of fun. So take us through the, the legal and regulatory environment that environment that you're thinking about uh are you going to focus on a specific state are you going to focus nationwide eventually and then go through a process there or what's the rollout look like from your perspective if things go smoothly so the rollout uh looks a little bit like this so as your listeners probably know there's eight jurisdictions that have full-fledged sports wagering um, there's another two that have approved it, New York and, and D.C., but have not acted on it yet. Uh, but there's actually only a handful of states within within those 10 that allow for mobile wagering and, and a step further than that, allow for mobile sign up. And one of those states right now is is New Jersey and New Jersey in January of, of, of 2019 saw over three hundred eighty five million dollars wagered. So there's a, a decent bit of volume for a state that's you know quite small. I believe it's the ninth or 10th most populous state uh, in, the, in the union. So the rollout looks a little bit like going to market in New Jersey, and we're beginning that licensing process now. Uh, we've met the folks over at the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. We're certainly not the only uh, business or operator that's trying to launch New Jersey. I can tell you for certain there's multiple right now that are going through the same process that we are. And then after New Jersey, obviously, your listeners probably also know that the Wire Act most believe inhibits uh, or prohibits the uh, crossing of state lines with, with, with wagers. And I think that we're, we're probably, you know, a year to two years out before we're going to be able to start to share liquidity across state lines. We saw a little bit of that language in the proposed federal bill in uh, this past December uh, in interstate liquidity compacts. And I really think that it's going to be a process where the regulators are, are learning. Because um, again, not a, not a lot of them are, are sports gamblers, and that's probably a really good thing, seeing as it just became legal in the United States outside of Nevada. But understanding what exchange wagering is and how ultimately it's it's better for the marketplace. Because you're, it's a more efficient market. And because it's a more efficient market, the participants in said market are, are getting better odds on, on, on the events that they're betting on, um, which means less money for the bookies. Uh, less, sorry, less money for the bookies and the casinos. But obviously that, that translates into savings for everybody else. And I still think it's a very uh, consistent way to earn revenue from an operator. You know, obviously as an exchange, we're not going to be winning when other players are losing, we take a commission on volume. Um, and that's that's similar to how other kind of exchanges work in different sectors, whether that's, you know, the financial sector or, or what have you. So I think it's it's a very uh, compelling uh, type of argument. Um, and I think it's something the regulators are just going to have to get acclimated to over time. And I think even in the first eight to nine months post-regulation, we see states moving extremely quickly so clearly they want this type of activity within their borders. It's just a matter of, of doing it the right way. So tell me how you're approaching Paddy Power Betfair. And what I mean by that is a lot of Australians who are listening will know the sports bet brand in Australia. Uh, they'll obviously know FanDuel in New Jersey at the moment, which Paddy Power Betfair own and operate and run there. And also the exchange, the Betfair exchange in New Jersey, 
uh, and some of the TVG properties that some of the Americans listening will be aware of. Tell me how your product is similar or, or even different from what they're they're offering, and has has their presence in New Jersey and in the U.S. been helpful to your cause? With regards to their their current product in New Jersey, they obviously have um, the FanDuel product, which is doing exceptionally well. Um, by my latest count, they have about forty to fifty percent market share in New Jersey, which is obviously tremendous, and they've built upon the brand that they've built. Uh, sorry, that they've built in the, in the past few years on their fantasy product. Um, and obviously, Patty Power acquired FanDuel, I believe, was it April or e- may have even been May of 2018, around the time that PASPA got, got struck down. Yep. And th- they Betfair has a racing product in New Jersey. But as, as many listeners might not know, racing, horse racing and sports betting are, are regulated entirely different in the United States. In fact, wagered dollars are actually allowed to cross state lines for horse racing because it's precluded from the Wire Act. So it's it's an entirely separate licensing process. Uh, Betfair, their exchange is live for horse racing, but not for uh, sports betting. I think the reason behind that's pretty clear. There's generally a pretty high uh, barrier for introducing a new product to the market, and they saw FanDuel as a way to introduce an Americanized sports betting product uh, right away and kind of hit the ground running, uh, so to speak. Um, and then getting a little bit into the differences of of our exchange versus versus a Betfair or a or a BetDAC, what have you. We we really have come at this from the angle of the U.S. consumer and what markets are going to be traded. You know what what markets are popular in the US. So NFL, NHL, NBA, um, you know, obviously college football as well. And uh, so our product's built a little bit different. And what I mean by that is we we have technology that does not require, you know, a buyer and a seller on each side of a trade. And, and the main reason behind that is we find from you know iterating on our product in the last past few months, a vast majority of users are a bit uh, disoriented and confused when they see kind of like a buy and sell or a back and a lay side on a market that only has two mutually exclusive outcomes. So our exchange is, is, a, is a bit different. And what we're trying to cater towards is the simpler user, maybe a user that's never even been on sports before and telling them, hey, sport trade is effectively um, – you know, Robin Hood for sports betting. You know, that's something that's kind of caught on in the last few months. And it's basically saying you're going to place a wager. You're going to place a wager at most likely the best odds in New Jersey. And once you place that wager, uh, it effectively effectively becomes like a stock. So as the uh, as your bet is performing well and the market's willing to pay a higher price, you know, you're going to be able to cash out of that bet for for profit. And on the other side of things, if the bet kind of goes against you, um, you're able to cash out of that bet, um, albeit for a loss, but at least you haven't lost everything. So we're trying to stay away from a lot of the terminology and a lot of the the things you might see on a bet fair or bet deck, because we think that they're, you know, you know, antithesis of, of a real marketplace solution in that we really want everybody to understand the product so that they can get to what they came there for, which is to place a bet. 
So there's not too much I can sp speak to on the IP side that we kind of have uh, going simultaneously, but in general, it's a it's a simpler version of an exchange. It's an interesting concept and discussion because you know user interface and the user experience is clearly important, and when you go down the path of a sports wagering exchange, there are a lot of question marks that generally come up, and I think we've seen already in the U.S. market with the typical American odds, the minus 110 situations and, and how that's played out with, I think some have talked about having implied probabilities or percentages as opposed to those type of odds. And then there's obviously decimal odds in other parts of the world and fractions as well. And you were talking a little bit about buy and sell. What is the optimal sort of scenario for all of that and, and condensing all of that into a an easy user experience? If, how much time have you spent on going through that have you done any user testing that will suggest that minus 110 versus uh implied probabilities versus buy and sells that there's better options or better alternatives we've certainly done some user testing uh, in that regard um and what we found is that um people that have bet on sports before um and and are in the united states are predisposed to the american odds system which in in my opinion quite honestly is is by far the worst way um to to um disseminate or to show odds because it's quite confusing and we found that out um from trying to explain to users what american odds were that have never been on sports before because you know in the united states we have you know 49 states that supposedly if you don't count offshore options those users have never been predisposed to betting. So a vast majority of them will be coming at this from a completely new angle. And it's a kind of a way to start, you know, on a blank slate. So in our user testing, we've definitely talked to users that want to see American odds and our exchange, you know, allowing someone to view a bet in American odds is very simple, you know, logically. Um, what we also found is that first-time bettors, it was very, very easy to explain to them implied probability as opposed to the American odds system. And the, the reason is, I think, that most users, when they go to place a bet, most bettors, um, they want to determine not only what's my payout, what's my risk versus reward scenario, which, which implied probability does quite well. So if I'm, if I'm buying the Sixers to beat the Cavs, which they just did this evening, that's at 74%, that means I'm risking 74 units to return 100, or I'm risking 74 units to profit that 26. Um, and what we found is that every user not only wants to know, you know their risk return profile on a bet, but they also want to know, am I making a good bet? And that's the part that we really honed in on with in our user testing is, okay, well, how do you determine something's a good bet? And even with the betters that are very experienced, they said, OK, well, you know, minus 110 means that I'm betting 110 to return 210. So if I take 110 and I divide it by 210, I get 52.38. And if the if I believe or my model believes that that outcome has greater than a 52.38 percent chance of occurring, that's a good bet for me. That's EV. Um so what we're essentially doing with implied probability is taking out that middle step of doing that arithmetic and saying, well, OK, well, what if on sports trade you saw that you could uh, buy the Sixers or buy the Lakers to beat the Suns at 51 percent? 
And if your model had them at a 53% chance of beating uh, the other team, clearly that's a good bet for you. So to answer your question, we personally believe from user testing and talking to a lot of people, both on the I've never bet before side, as well as the uh, I'm a really experienced better and I'm fixed in my ways of American odds, we think that having implied probability on there is probably the best way to go, as well as giving the user the option to say, hey, I want to see American odds. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, and I've spent way too many hours and minutes and seconds of my life trying to convert in my head from American odds back to decimal that I grew up with and then from there to fractions and there from implied probabilities. So I'm looking forward to that optionality in terms of uh, the display. And I guess one question for you, maybe the answer is everyone, but who are the target customers for you? Are you looking at, you mentioned before, people that have already bet on sports. Are you looking for those types? Are you looking for the, the trader Wall Street types who might be a little bit more sophisticated and are putting you know a little bit more time into this or are you catering to everyone from the the everyday customer to the more sophisticated customer uh what we're what we're doing um is we're specifically focusing on you know the niche user right now and that is the person that is looking for uh a more nuanced option in the u.s market and and that might be a professional better we've done some exciting things with professionals uh, both inside and outside of New Jersey that are going to be, um, you know, kind of evangelizing the product because they see a massive value in this because they're going to be allowed to place, you know, essentially limitless wagers um, and not be limited because in an exchange environment, that's OK. We actually want the volume. Um, and because they're going to be betting through our exchange and not through a bookie, Whoever is taking the other side of that bet, whether that's me or you, or maybe it's an institution or maybe it's another professional better, is going to get much better odds for making that bet on sport trade than they would with a bookie. So we're certainly focusing on the niche user of, okay, I'm looking for something a little bit more out of this product. And again, you have professional betters. You also have, as you mentioned, someone that might you know, want to use our web app. And we've just released our V0 web app. Um, it, it essentially allows anyone to make trades, buy and sell and, and do the core functionality. Um, and those individuals are probably going to be more inclined to trading the game rather than placing one bet and waiting. So we're certainly catered towards that use case. And then from that, you also have the ability to um, cater towards the more institutional side of things or someone that uh, like a professional better that's going to be ha have their own model. And as long as they can build logic that can execute trades or build a trading bot based on that model, they're going to be able to access the exchange as well. Now, if you went and asked uh, a William Hill if it, you could plug in your you know, betting model into their API, either they would say no or they would say yes. And it probably wouldn't matter because the bet delay that occurs between me saying, yes, I want to take this bet and it actually happening is quite long in New Jersey, as long as two minutes, I've heard. Um, essentially erasing the edge that you got from using API access in a trading bot in the first place. Um, and then obviously the third kind of segment of users is, is a recreational user. Someone that might be using our mobile app and saying, hey, I'm not really interested in trading this game. I, I probably don't even know what that is, but I think the Sixers have a 50% chance of winning. I'll throw $10 on them. Okay, great. My $10 bet's going to return me 20 and I can go on the app at any time 
and I'll get a push notification um, if the price has moved beyond maybe I, I set a limit or maybe I'm just going to watch the app in real time and if they just scored a three-point bucket and their probability increased 3% and I can now cash out my bet for $11 and a $1 profit. So you have a bunch of different users and I think the coolest part of an exchange is everybody uses the trade engine but everyone can also use a different way to get to that trade engine, whether that's on the mobile side, having good UI UX, whether that's on the web side, and maybe someone wants charts or something a bit more involved, or it's on the API side where someone wants to build their entirely, you know, customizable interface and wants to set up their trading bot because maybe they have an MLB model or maybe they have an NCAA basketball model. So hopefully that kind of answers that question. Yeah, and I'm sure some of the listeners are either utilizing or thinking about utilizing trading bots, they're plugging into APIs, they're doing those types of things. For that kind of better, how long do you think it'll take for that to be up and up and running in a meaningful way where they can plug into that type of access and, and utilize that type of service? Do you think it's something that's early stages or do you think that'll take some time to to organize within the platform and, and make it more of a seamless opportunity for those looking in that space? Here's what I'll say to answer that question. We, we have built out an API infrastructure um, that we're working with another party that's interested in obviously using this trading software once we launch in New Jersey. And it will be our absolute focus to have that up and running at the same moment that we have everything else. Because as you know, in order for a market to work, you need the liquidity. And a lot of the people that are going to be using the API are going to be market making. And for those of your listeners that might not understand what that means, it just simply means that you want to place a bet on the exchange, but you want a little bit better of a price than what's currently offered. You're, you're effectively making the market and you're waiting for a market taker or someone that comes in and, and accepts that wager. Um, so you need both sides to have a trade. And the API side for us is, is extremely important. Uh, and then a step further than that, um, we'll reward those type of API users that are market making on the exchange because they'll earn a rebate for offering a bet to the market that gets matched because they're doing everybody a favor to say, okay, I'm willing to take this risk and put this bet out there. I can cancel it any, any time or I can alter it at any time, but I'm taking the initial risk for placing this bet at this price. It's at the price I want, um, but something might happen in the next few seconds that I might not like. And in the case that I'm not able to cancel my offer and the bet gets matched, we come in and say, well, you're going to be compensated in, in, the, in the form of a rebate. And that's something that happens in exchanges across the world. I'm sure it's something that happens in betting exchanges. You want to reward the market makers for taking the risk. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get to the, the L word, the liquidity question, I just want to ask if you've identified any legal or regulatory or even taxation issues at the moment because a lot of the time there are many challenges to getting a an exchange up and running in a meaningful way in a way that the business model works have you encountered any of those issues so far or do you think that's something you can tick off and then we can move to the l word after that uh, it's it's something we can tick off one thing that we're absolutely focused on is is doing this correctly uh, because if we can do it correctly, we can prove that this is a model that's, that's, in my opinion, in a lot of cases, better than what's currently available. And what that means is 
our server is going to be inside the state and anyone who wants to access our exchange is going to have to access it from inside the state. So we have, um, and I don't want to get too too much into this, but we have um, an agreement with one market making entity that will be, you know, supplying the exchange with liquidity. And we hope to have a lot more. We're definitely not going to allow anyone to have that type of monopoly uh, if we can help it. And they're going to have their server inside the state. And the reason that is, is because the wager must occur inside the state lines, which means that their decision-making server, this trading entity I'm talking of, or any trading entity or any trading bot that wants to employ their own model to uh, trade on the exchange, their server has to be inside the state line. So there is a bit of a challenge there to say, it's not like we can open this up to all 50 states, but anyone that wants to you know, trade on our exchange can toss a server inside New Jersey as long as all decisions with regards to making wagers are done in New Jersey. You know, there's nothing that we've found thus far from ta- talking to various stakeholders that would prohibit us from doing that. And what about the federal excise tax, which I believe is 0.25% of turnover? How does that impact your decision-making, the business model, and and the tight margin that I assume that you want to offer? That's a great question. So on the excise tax, um, we, as you mentioned, we have an excise tax of 25 basis points in the United States. Other exchanges that are in other jurisdictions have this excise tax issue as well in terms of how to charge it, how to disseminate it to the end user, and what's kind of fairest for everyone. So I can hop right into our pricing model and say to the end user, um, basically what we're doing is we're charging 1% on volume. And what that means is if a $10 gets traded on our exchange, we get 10 cents. We take care of the excise tax. We take care of uh, state and local taxes. We take care of of anything we need to take care of on our end. And the reason we're doing that is kind of twofold. One, as you mentioned, we want tight margins and we want this to be a disruptive product. Uh, Second is from our models, that can still be a profitable way of of running a business. And, And for the reasons of we don't have to hire teams that are doing what bookies are doing for the most part because our model is so different. Uh, and, and then third, to the end user that might be choosing between using a sport trade or a William Hill, the word fee or having to pay something on top of what they're already betting is probably a pretty um, intimidating uh, idea to them. And that's not something that we want an end user to be dealing with. So mobile users, web users, um, all of what you know our model basically works that we take one percent on volume and and obviously paying the excise tax and all those things come out of that but the end goal is to create a disruptive product yep and for the australian listeners they'll certainly know the impact of product fees in australia and what they've had on the market and certainly in recent times with the nrl uh changing their model a little bit or adjusting it they're in a tricky situation where they're passing a lot of that on to the end user and it's certainly not a great user experience. I think in the US, a similar or the, the equivalent of the product fees are the what the leagues have called the royalty fees or previously the integrity fees. And in a state like New Jersey, you don't have to deal with that. So right. sounds like a positive. Uh, moving on to the liquidity question, 
is New Jersey a big enough state where you can accumulate enough volume and have enough market makers in place to make it a viable option, do you think? It's a really good question. I think how we're tackling that is, you know, our exchange will not have the breadth of markets from day one that you might see with a bookie or that you might see with exchanges across the world or that you might even see offshore. And the reason is, and I think everybody's incentivized by the same thing, which is liquidity. You know, the reason being you don't want someone to be trading uh, how many seconds into the game will LeBron make his first three pointer because you're probably pulling liquidity away uh, or you might not get ample liquidity in that market itself. And if you do, you might be pulling it away from something that's much more liquid. So our, our goal there is to start with a product um, where the users are going to be able to trade, uh, you know, the money line total points, handicap, um, and then maybe even some things that are like uh, first half, second half, um, when you talk about football and basketball, or, or on a per period basis when you're talking when you're talking hockey. Um, but the goal is to say we want to have a product that's well served, you know, our, our user base, but we also don't want to spread ourselves too thin. And if we can do it correctly from day one in that saying, okay, we're not going to have a full breadth of market offerings here, but because our goal is to uh, build liquidity kind of organically rather than saying, hey, look, we have uh, 300 markets on day one and then someone goes in and they can't place a bet right away and they're a mobile user and they might not understand market making. Well, that's a really bad user experience and they're probably not going to use the app after that uh, because that's probably pretty intimidating. They're not sure why they can, can't get a bet down. Um, you know, the alternative, which is our plan, is to say, OK, there's nine baseball games today. And you're going to be able to trade on who's winning the game, who's going to win the game with a handicap, total runs. And you might even, if it's a nationally broadcasted game, be able to trade um, what's going to happen in each inning, as in win, loss, or tie. And I think that the goal there is to say we want to in introduce a product that we know is not going to be super liquid up front. So we want to, we want to uh, focus that liquidity in the markets that our people are going to be trading in anyway. So you mentioned you're going to let the liquidity build organically. Take me through that. Do you have a timeline in your head or on paper about how long that might take? Are you expecting a fast launch where you'll have a flood of activity and action early? Or do you think it'll be a slow build up and you'll build your way to a critical mass? What are your thoughts and thought process along those lines? Uh, from our models, we see it more, you know, the latter. So building something up and attaining critical mass. And what we're really going to be doing there is we'll have executed the requisite agreements. We've already done one such agreement where we know that API users are going to be market making on the exchange. And at first, you might only have X amount of market makers. And what that might mean to the end user is you might see odds, you know, talking American odds now, of minus 105, minus 110. Um, and then as time goes on, people are going to realize that the market makers that are currently serving the market are doing really well because they're sitting there like a bookie would, offering a really advantageous price to them. And what will happen is the next market maker will come in and offer a slightly lower price. And that's, this is the beauty of marketplaces. This is why I, I truly love you know how supply and demand works because you're going to have competition on the supply side of the market. And what's that, what that's going to look like to the end user, the mobile user, someone like me, um, is is better odds. And I'll be able to go on Sport Trade and see that I can bet at minus 
104, minus 103, even minus 102, where on the exact same event, I could only bet at minus 110 at DraftKings or at William Hill or at a BetStars. So our goal is definitely uh, focusing on the market making side, having the liquidity there. And then as people see the opportunity, you know, a lot rides on creating an engaging, you know, product. And we're doing a lot right now and engaging with any user. So if anyone tries out the app, please, please, please send your feedback because that's how we're going to build a really disruptive product. Um, but kind of going back to your point is saying, let's be competitive. Let's be not monopoly. Uh, let's not create a mon monopoly uh, on the market making side. So let's, you know, it's not just going to be us offering bets to the market. We're going to have as many people that want to toss a server in New Jersey are going to offer a price and hopefully they'll compete to offer the user the best price. And you're right. It's not going to be liquid and it's not going to be have super deep depth from day one. But a month or two in, as the user sees, hey, look, this is a really engaging way to bet on sports. It's real time. I get better odds and I can cash out any time and I can ask for a better price if I want to. Then you start to have the market takers are matching the market makers. And now more more market makers are coming in to compete you know, with each other. And over time, you start to build critical mass. So certainly we'll be we're, we're very realistic on, on kind of a timeline for that. And that's why, to answer your question, API access is so important. You can't hold that back and only have one market maker or two market makers. You're, that's essentially, you know, not much better than what a bookie is doing right now. You need to be able to have anyone that has a model have the ability to offer bets to the market and have true competition. So take me through the user base that you might be expecting. Do you think you're going to have someone who's going to log in 45 minutes before a, a baseball uh, baseball game starts and then place a $50 bet, as well as those, in inverted commas, real-time traders who are looking to trade in and out of games or they might take a, a certain price as the game's about to start or just starts and then maybe trade out after the fourth inning and are monitoring it in real time? Take us through the, the user experience across the board. Great. That's a great question. So a, a regular user experience would look something like this. So for a mobile user, um, they might get a notification that their favorite team, in my case, the Philadelphia Phillies, are playing the Washington Nationals, right? So I get a push notification. I get an idea of what the market is sitting at. And maybe maybe this the Phillies were starting Aaron Nola, and we have a 64% chance of winning. And maybe I think, well, I still think our chances are better than that. I'll pay. I'll place twenty-five dollars down, and maybe that will return me thirty-seven dollars and change. Um, and then once I've placed that bet, again, it's all about making this idea of a marketplace accessible and understandable to everyone. I might just tell the exchange that I want to profit five dollars off this bet. I have no interest in really watching the game. Maybe, maybe I'm busy, but I'd like to profit five dollars on this bet. And oh, by the way, I don't want to lose more than six dollars. And based on those kind of prerequisites that I've given via the, the mobile interface, I've now not only been a market taker, but I've went on the other side of things and, and been a market maker. So now I'm maybe I'm at work, maybe I'm taking a bike ride, then I get a push notification uh, that the Phillies are now up two to one, and that I was able to sell my bet for $30, which is a $5 profit, exactly what I wanted out of the exchange. That is a user experience that we'd be really proud in delivering to the user, one. And two, it's not a user experience that's well-served at all by the current options in the market because, again, you can't ask for a better price. You can't say, hey, I want to do this, and I think the market's going to move this way, and I want to profit this. 
Or on the other side, if the market moves the other way, I don't want to lose more than $10. And making making the marketplace accessible and understandable to all is going to allow people to basically interact with the trade engine in their own unique way. So that's how it would work for a, a more of a recreational user. For more of a trader, they're going to be either plugged into our API or sitting on our web app. They'll be looking at the charts. They'll say, okay, Bryce Harper's up at bat. I think there's an X percent chance that he's going to hit a home run. The market should be priced at Y. They'll place an order in, um, and they'll be kind of watching in real time. They're going to have the ability to not only obviously place bets, but also offer bets to the market. Um, we have a speed bump kind of technology that allows users that have made you know, offers to the market to pull those out if you know if a home run occurs or something like that. Um, so it's a really fair and equitable experience across the board. So you kind of have that. And then on the third side, you have the, kind of the API uh, user, the, uh, the enterprise user that is saying, hey, I'm not, no humans really, you know, I control here. I can, I can make API calls and see what my trading bot's doing, but it's getting the data in real time and it's making uh, trades, whether that's market making trade, market uh, taking trades um, in real time. And I really am not in control. So the, the goal there is to say, okay, you really have a really wide breadth of users all the way from a person that just likes the Phillies like me to someone that doesn't care at all that Phillies are playing the nationals and just playing the numbers and just betting based on the updated real-time probabilities. So that's kind of the use case per person. Interesting. Very, very interesting. It's March, 2019. Take me through your hopes and dreams for sport trade for this March Madness, and also looking ahead maybe to 2020 or even 2021, where do you hope to be by those March Madness events and, and maybe some expectations from your end? Yeah, so um, this March Madness, um, anyone that's on iOS, that's iPhone or iPad, uh, or um, has a computer can access our exchange. Um, and uh, they will be able to trade all 67 games that are occurring um, throughout the tournament. I, I always sometimes forget that there's those four kind of warm-up games on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, so they'll be able to trade all 67 games. And I think it's a really cool way to get acclimated with how the exchange works, um, what's what's basically going on, the ability to place a bet and to cash out that bet for a profit or loss, either the entire bet or some of that bet. Um, and then moving forward, obviously, there's a lot um, that we're working you know, fully fledged on on getting this product to market in New Jersey, and there's there's a heck of a lot of work to be done there, and we're we're looking forward to that, and and hopefully getting to a smooth launch in New Jersey sometime around Q3 or Q4, given given the throughput time, you know, kind of given to us by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement, as well as kind of the throughput that they're dealing with uh, with with other operators, uh, and then be, beyond New Jersey, so maybe we're talking 2021 now or late 2020. Um, we'll certainly want to, you know, expand the exchange to to newer states, and it's really upon the regulators whether they're um, interested or whether federal legislation is enacted to allow kind of these interstate compacts. We see it in poker for all the poker players out there, for example, um, that that liquidity is able to you know kind of cross state lines, and that's contingent on on this new. Um, this new interpretation of the Wire Act, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, but that's really where we see the exchange going in the next you know, year to two years to say, OK, let's let's get New Jersey. Let's let's ensure a smooth launch there. Let's validate that people like this. It's more cost efficient, efficient. It's more engaging than current products. 
And then beyond that, let's move to states such as Massachusetts, such as Indiana, um, other states that seem to have proposed pretty um, uh, pretty sensical bills. So something that would allow mobile sign-up. I think even in, in, in Massachusetts' case, something that does not force a casino and a and a uh, an operator to partner with a, with a land-based casino. So I think that there, we're going to see a lot of movement on the legislative side, and then it'll just come down to making the bis- best business decision for us. So I've touched on a lot of the different aspects that will go into this. If you can crystallize it into one or two of the major challenges you're going to face, what do you think that will be if you can look ahead and anticipate what's coming? Do you have an idea of what might be the hardest thing? Is it going to be the build, for example? Is it going to be navigating the state-by-state rollout? Is it going to be acquiring customers? What area are you going to be heavily focusing on if you can crystallize it into one or two? Uh, I would say probably user acquisition, and I don't mean that from a whose product is better perspective. I think New Jersey has been very uh, indicative of what we're going to see across the United States in that companies such as FanDuel and DraftKings are willing to... um, spend a lot on user acquisition. Now, if I were them or if I had any input, I would probably say, let's invest one-tenth of what we're throwing at user acquisition to build a a more innovative product. Because I think, as you know, some of those books in New Jersey are powered by the exact same risk managers, which means the exact same lines, the exact same parlay offers. The only way that they're differentiating is on these sign-up offers, parlay bonuses, uh, uh, refunds. And I think points bet is, is a good example of that, you know, paying out early on certain events, uh, good karma payouts based on if there was a bad beat the night before. So these these companies are relying on offering a lot um, in the in the form of a bonus to the end user. Now, that's clearly something a place where we don't want to compete because how I view the market is I want to you know buy users. I don't want to rent users. So if you're going to offer a really big payout, a really big bonus on the upcoming March Madness tournament, you might get a lot of betters for that. But you don't have an innovative product that can keep them there because the next March, next March Madness, the other bookie across the street is going to offer an even bigger offer to the end user. And they're going to flock over there because they're not loyal and they shouldn't be to one particular option. So I think that's going to be a challenge for us is to disseminate that to the user and say, you know, we're not we can't give away, you know, fifteen hundred dollars to you up front. Um, and the reason is because we're not going to make that in back in, in, in just a month or two, like, like, a, like a bookie would, because our, our model is totally different. So that's one of the challenges I see is, is that user acquisition model, because those, those competitors have a lot of money to give away and to pr- promote their product. Um, the product isn't as engaging, in my opinion. It's much, more, uh, it's much less cost effective, but they're still getting users through the door. That would be one thing. The second thing is I think that the moment that, that this that this model is validated, I think there's going to be a lot of competitors in this space. I think you have um, Matchbooks, Markets, BetDAC, and Betfair certainly in some way or the other, or, or the other or, are looking at approaching this market. And it's going to be a matter of the moment that we all think that there can be an inner uh, interstate compacts or a nationwide exchange is the moment that 12 months later we'll have, I, I would believe, you know, somewhere between five and 10 exchange offerings in the United States. And you get back to liquidity is king and kind of being among the first to offer that product, to the, you know, to these users. 
ends up being really important because if you've built up the liquidity, see what Betfair has done in the last since 2000. Um, you know they they acquired Flutter and they were first to market and in and, and creating a really liquid exchange. And you have products now that I would argue are better on the eye, more innovative, and you still have Betfair being extremely dominant. And that's because they have a really solid user base and they have a really, really good product and they have the liquidity. So it's really hard for a matchbook or a BetDAC to beat that because Betfair knew that getting to market first is really important and they've created a really good product kind of from that. So I would see those are the two challenges saying competitors on, on the who's there now and how much are they willing to spend. And then on the second side, the moment that this is validated, I think you have three or four other exchanges coming into the US. And I think that's a really good advantage uh, opportunity for us for merger and acquisition or some type of partnership to say, hey, look, we have this IP, we're able to process bets at a really fast rate, we're able to tailor this specifically for the US user. And you clearly have a war chest that can compete with the DraftKings or FanDuel. Um, there's an opportunity for for pro- possibly you know working together in a partnership. Yeah, certainly going to be an interesting space and seeing how that unfolds. I think there's no doubt it's coming, and it sounds like you may be leading the way in that space. And if you are, there's going to be a lot of people behind you, and and hopefully for your sake, they can uh, they can be you know, eating your dust for a while and then see how things go from there. I have a bit of a fun question for you. In a fictitious exchange world in terms of players, Bryce Harper at your Phillies, is he a buy or is he a sell? That is a great question. Um, Here's what I do in these situations. I, I do something, and I think everybody does some form of this, called the happiness hedge. And the happiness hedge basically means I want this event to occur really, really badly, so I might just bet against it so that either way I'm happy. I'm not really someone that wants to typically risk it all on something. So that's probably what I'll do. Maybe if it was a buy, sell, or hold, I'd be sitting kind of in a hold. But you asked me buy or sell, so I'll answer the question. In my heart, it's probably a buy because I want to believe that, you know, he's signed for 13 years, that he's going to lead us to more championships but the, the the happiness hedge side of me says let's let's employ us you know let's take a short position let's sell Bryce Harper and we can still root for the Phillies and no matter what happens everyone's happy. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I I'm inclined to the the sell side, but hopefully for your sake, uh, there's some there's some championships in the waiting. So before I let you go, just I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but just for those who are interested, do they need to be in New Jersey? Do they? you know, need to be in the U.S.? Can they can they access it internationally? What's the best way if they are in New Jersey, in the U.S. internationally to get involved, test it out a little bit, see what it's like and, and experience sport trade? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing anyone can do, New Jersey, U.S. or international, is head over to sporttrade.io. That's S-P-O-R-T-T-R-A-D-E dot I-O. And from there, you'll be able to check out kind of what's on our roadmap, uh, we, we release a month a weekly blog that you'll be able to follow, um, and then you'll be able to check out the web app as well as download the iOS app from there. Um, so in in the in the kind of processing time between getting into New Jersey, that's what it's going to look like. Uh, we'll probably leave a product up there that all other 49 states participants will be able to interact with because we see them as being future users down the road while we're live in New Jersey. To those that are in New Jersey. Obviously, you can sign up for our waiting list as well. 
And we're going to have some really exciting things kind of as we move towards launching in the form of a, of a referral program to, to kind of bring your, your friends into the exchange. And I guess the whole whole idea is you're, you're not betting against the bookie. You're betting against your friends. You're betting against people like you. And I think that's one of the coolest parts of the exchange. It's not like when you you have to lose in order for someone else to win. Um, it's a much more equitable experience. So that's how you can get in touch. Awesome. Alex, thank you very much for coming on. I've certainly had you long enough. I just want to say that certainly in the US market, this is a space that's uncharted. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have many differing opinions on this type of business, this business model, even with respect to the US market. So it'll certainly be fun to look back in, in 12 and 24 months and hopefully chat again on this podcast about how things are going then. I certainly wish you all the best. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun, uh, it's going to be a fun journey, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, being a part of the discussion uh, on Twitter, because I know you have you know, quite the following. And it's really impressive, you know, what you've done with this. And I think um, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast, but you're, you're hitting on a space that's really, really kind of underserved in the market. And you're the only podcast that kind of gets at the core issues without having to really deal with kind of differing kind of ethical issues uh, or differing, you know, people pulling you different ways. So I think that's a really awesome thing that you've got built. And everyone that I've talked to in the industry, whether they're on the professional better side or on the operator side have hey, said, have you talked to Jake or do you know the business of betting podcast or, Hey, I was on season one, check me out. I was on, on episode 13 or, or what <laughs> have you. So you're really building quite the following and, and kudos to that. No, that's awesome. And I, I do sincerely mean that we, we should do this again in 12 or 24 months and, and see how we go. And I know you're a golf golf man and, you know, I think this year the majors are, I think they're four months in a row. It might be like April, May, June, July or something like that. So I think in the future, golf and, and exchanges will be a fun place to see how that evolves, not to mention, obviously, all the core four US and college sports here. So I do sincerely wish you all the best. And um, yeah, we'll be thinking of you from the, the Business of Betting podcast. Great. Thanks so much.